sunny or snowy or sunny, snowy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to Northwest Indiana, am I right? <laughs> I must say I was a little bit concerned when I saw the snow coming because um, I was in Minneapolis last week and there was a big storm and we got pretty much completely snowed in and I did not want to be snowed in in Minneapolis. The week before that, I was in Arizona that's where I wanted to get snowed in, not because of the snow there, but because of the snow here. And O'Hare had all kinds of canceled, canceled flights and everything was backed up. And I was just praying, yes, yes, let me be snowed in so I can't get out of Arizona. But no, God wanted me snowed into Minnesota. All right, all right, whatever you want. I've actually been on the road. Uh, this is my eighth Sunday in a different place. One of those Sundays I didn't go to church. Um, but Seven Sundays, I went to different churches and either spoke or did some kind of training at missions conferences. And so I've been on the road a lot. So it's really actually nice. I'm, I'm getting close to maybe going to my own church someday. Uh, but here, it's this, this is local because I am from Chesterton. And I'll explain my mission work a little bit. But uh, uh, we're, we're local. We're, we're from Chesterton. Uh, matter of fact, my family and I have broken our record, and we have lived in one place now for over five and a half years in Chesterton, Indiana. So we feel as local as we possibly could be at this point. Um, my family is not here today. Uh, when I accepted this invitation to come speak, and I'm glad to give uh, the McGrath family some time away to relax. Uh, your pastor needs it. Uh, all of us need it every once in a while, and so I was glad to step in. Uh, but when I said yes, my family was going to be doing this big party with all our kids coming home and boyfriends and friends and everything for my daughter's birthday, uh, and that was supposed to be yesterday. But the plans all changed, and so that's today. And that's great, but the family wanted to go to church together, and so I'm just explaining why I don't have my wife here, who sends her greetings. Um, she is a fifth-grade teacher at Central Elementary, right pretty close to here, I think. So uh, she knows this area also. Um, I'm going to read the scripture here, and then uh, I mean, I'll just explain right up front this sermon. I agreed to uh, come and preach, but I, I, I told Pastor McGrath, it's, it's, it's the on-the-road sermon, I can't. I don't even have time to change it. It's basically what was written you get. And so it's a little bit focused on the mission work. And I want to just say that up front so you don't think, man, this guy is always talking about himself. And, um, but it, it's, it's really about the, the Roma ministry in the, in the Czech Republic and all around the, the world and Europe. So I want to talk about that. But it is also very much based on the Scripture. So let's take a look at Matthew 25. I'm going to read from 31 to 46. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, to you, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. 
I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you in a, a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. In 1997, we took our, uh, at then that time, five-year-old, three-year-old, and six-month-old to a new country, across the ocean, over in Europe, the Czech Republic. Do you know where the Czech Republic is? It's okay if you don't. Uh, it's, it's one of those smaller European countries. It's near Germany, Poland, uh, and, and then Austria is, is the bigger countries that are around there. It also borders with Slovakia. Matter of fact, one of the signs that you are a missionary is that you field a lot of questions, and a lot of the questions are pretty interesting. One of the most interesting questions that I ever got was before we were going to the Czech Republic, and someone asked this question, are you bringing your children with you? I've heard the wars over there in Czechoslovakia are terrible. This is 1997, and the amount of levels of how many assumptions were wrong in that question is almost indescribable. It was the Czech Republic at that point. It was not what I think they were thinking was the former Yugoslavia, where there were wars, but not even at that point. And yes, we're going to bring our children with us. So we have had, uh, as a, a missionary family, to answer a lot of questions like that. And, and one of them is, where are you from? And my children especially have a very hard time with that one because they were children when we went to Europe. We lived there 16 years, and uh, some of, two of them were born there. And so where are you from? Well, we're from maybe the Czech Republic, maybe here, maybe neither, maybe both. Not sure. So there's a lot of variations in answering where are you from for a missionary kid. But as I said, we're local. We're living in Ch uh, Chesterton now. Uh, I am with Reach Global, and so uh, I do do a fair amount of travel. I try to get to Europe about six times a year. And um, I'm officially a missions mobilizer, and I mobilize missions and churches to get involved with ministries among marginalized people. And we'll talk a little bit about what marginalized people mean. But the basic idea is that they're living on the margins of society. They're not seen. They're not uh, immediately ministered to. If you go to the city or the people, uh, the, the majority population 
And then there's the minority or the marginalized who are unseen or ignored. And that's a lot of people in the world, including the Roma or the gypsies in Europe. They're one of the most marginalized people in the world, but especially in Europe. And so that's my uh, ministry. But we ended up in the Czech Republic, and um, we went with the plan of developing leaders within the Czech church, because through communism, uh, the church had become very weak and mistrustful. And so they were not able to reach out to people. And we actually found out that one of the groups of people that was completely forgotten in any kind of outreach was the gypsies. And that's where we got involved with them. Uh, And I want to share a little bit about how that happened um, and introduce... um, introduce a family. I'll do a quick introduction to my family. If we can get the next slide. Uh, This is a little small, but this is us in Prague. So this was five, six years ago. Um, But I wanted a picture of us in Prague. Uh, These are my five children. The youngest two were born in the Czech Republic. Uh, As I said, uh, Amy, Matos, and Hannah were very small when we went to the Czech Republic. But a more important family, if we can get the next slide, is the Beranek family. Ivan and Jana Beranek. Ivan and Jane Little Lamb. That's basically what their name means. And these are the, the gypsy, this is the gypsy couple that I really met, and God used them to call me into ministry among the Roma people. I say Roma and gypsy interchangeably uh, because Roma is the word that is used in Europe. Gypsy is a terrible, rotten horrible name to use for people, and it's used basically like a swear word by a lot of people. And so, the Roma people. It was after midnight, and in the small apartment living room, it was well lit and alive with the joyful sounds of laughter, music, and even dancing. Yana poured another cup of coffee and brought out more food. I was enjoying a lot of what was happening here. And then Ivan pulled out a guitar, and he was singing uh, Roma worship songs. I remember glancing at my wife, Dora, and thinking, how are we bonding with this gypsy couple so quickly when we've never even met gypsies before? We would later remark to each other that that night, we laughed more in the four or five hours we were together with them than the entire two years previously in the Czech Republic. We knew that we were watching something very big happen. As the late night turned into early morning, Ivan and Yana continued telling stories of transformation in the lives of gypsy children and youth. We rejoiced with them as they described early years of ministry where they were on the streets just finding uh, gypsy kids who were sometimes uh, drug addicted or sent out of the home or involved in prostitution, and they were ministering to them. We marveled as they told about that generation was now bringing their own kids to the church, and so that there was two generations of these Roma people. We mourned with them as they described the difficulties of ministering among the gypsies when they're being told you shouldn't waste your time with those people, when they're being told, you know, they're just emotional. They come to Christ, but they don't have any root in faith. And we felt compassion towards their adult leaders who were burned out and doing this ministry with no support and no encouragement from the local church. By the end of that long night, Dora and I had decided that we would help out. And so we offered to do a couple of things, which turned into a lot of things. 
We said yes, we would help start a, restart a youth group. We said yes, we would come one, one day a week and work with the children. And I said yes, I'll come and work with the adult leaders and give them some Bible study encouragement. Well, within two weeks, we knew that we were seeing a church plant. This was a church plant for the Roma Gypsies, which I had never dreamed of or planned or strategized, and it was happening before me. So we watched in amazement over the next year or two as, first of all, the European Union funded a community center and church for us, and second of all, as the leaders multiplied and began to reach out into other Roma communities, and we saw a small church planting movement happen, and we were marveling even to the point where God was saying, this is your new calling. We went to the Czech Republic to work with Czech people and do theological education, We ended up church planting with the gypsies. God used that night to show us who the Roma were, how much he loved them, and how our call to work with them would would make a difference. So in a short sermon like this, I don't have time to go through the whole scriptures of God's care for in the Old Testament, the widow and the orphan and the alien, and in the New Testament, compassion for people who were on the margins, like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and other people. And Jesus had a compassion, not that they were more important, but he used his ministry within them to show us aspects of God that we don't get otherwise if we miss what he's doing among marginalized people. So I just want to talk a little bit about what uh, the context of this passage is. And if we can skip to the next slide. Basically, Matthew 23 to 25 has these main points. I I don't have time to go through it all. But the first one here is that Jesus' return is imminent, but the time is unknown. It could be today. It could be before I sit down. But we don't know. And he takes a lot of the scriptures and he takes a lot of time to talk about um, comparing the second coming to the flood in the days of Noah. They knew nothing about the flood and what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it'll be with the second coming of the Son of Man. The second point is that there are definite signs of his return. And if we can go to the next slide... This is in Matthew 24, if you can read these. Uh, There are signs that will happen before Jesus' return. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, betrayal in the church, false prophets, and all people groups evangelized. If you look at that list, are some of those happening right now? If we turn on the news, we can see wars. We can see rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution in the church, betrayal in the church, false prophets in the church. Arguably, the last one is the one that hasn't happened yet. And there is, as a missionary, I'm interested in this. There's a theology of breaking, you know, uh, statistically and sociologically down which people groups have been reached and which people groups have not been reached. And when are we going to reach all people groups? And it's, 
a very broad area of study that can be helpful if we're looking at where is the gospel not being preached right now. I was at a missions conference uh, two weeks ago, and the United UIM Ministries, United Indian Ministries, are flying airplanes into remote areas in Mexico, up in the mountains, where people can't get unless you actually fly there. And actually, before that, you have to go and build an, uh, uh, an air ramp for them to land. Those people are unreached because no one can get there without someone going. There are still a small amount of groups in the world today like that. So finding where to bring the gospel is very valuable. But having said that, all of these are happening today. So there are signs of Jesus' imminent return. Now if we can go backwards to that slide. That's the... uh, That's the signs that Jesus is returning. But on the third point, therefore, there is a way to live the rest of your life. (laughs) And Jesus goes through kind of like negative motivation and then positive motivation here. Uh, The negative motivation is in most of the Bibles, it's in in, uh, chapter 23, it's entitled The Seven Woes. And Jesus is talking out in public, and he's talking out to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he comes, and I I can't think of any other word than he blisters them with his words. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he's talking about the way they've come up with man-made rules, or we might call them culture, ways of doing things that just completely miss the gospel. And he gets angry And as he's saying that, just in case they didn't quite understand that he was angry at them, he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them snakes. And then he compares them to a whitewashed tomb, just in case they weren't getting the importance of what he was saying. So Jesus gives this and says, this is not the way to live. I'm going to be coming back. And when I come back, if you are still leading people astray, through man-made rules that are missing the compassion of the gospel, the forgiveness of the gospel, the grace of the gospel, then that is bad. But then he goes to the positive motivation, and that's where our passage is today. He shares what the positive things that are going to be in your lives if you are exhibiting that you have accepted the gospel, that you have been transformed that you are now righteous before, Christ, before God through Jesus Christ. And those things are feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, invite the stranger to your table, clothe the needy, take care of the sick, and visit the prisoner. <coughs> it's interesting to note here that some of the things of these indications of righteousness are not pray a prayer or be saved or go to church or have a Bible study or even have a prayer group. Now, those things are all good. Do them all. You are doing them. Do more of them. But it is interesting that the saving, the indication of your saving grace 
in this passage is none of those things. It has more to do with the outward expression of reaching people who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are needy. James 2, 14 through 18 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So let me take this passage and uh, this whole context of Matthew 23 through 25 and kind of summarize it. So if you're sticking with me this long, great. Um, This is an engaged group, I can see. But, you know, if you're sleeping, wake up. Uh, I'm going to give you the cliff notes to these three chapters. Uh, This is the abstract of the doctoral thesis, which I am not comparing this sermon to a doctoral thesis. Let me uh, just say that. But if we can get the next slide. I'm going to read this, but it's also up on the screen. Um, Here's the summary. Jesus will return any moment. Although this time is unknown, there are signs that it will be soon. When he comes, he will divide humanity into two groups. One group will be rewarded with eternal life, heaven, entrance into the kingdom of God. The other group will be removed from God's presence and experience suffering that cannot be imagined on this side of history. The division will be made based only on the righteousness of Christ that has covered you. Next slide. You cannot possibly bring any righteousness to the judgment seat, but the evidence of that righteousness will be used to prove your position on the right or the left. How you treat the forgotten and ignored people before you now matters. And it is the indicator of Christ's transforming righteousness and will be used as an outward sign that you will inherit eternal life. Signs that Jesus' return are all around us. When we watch the news, it's really easy to despair and just see another famine, another shooting, another crisis, flooding. Another politician promising something. Another civil war. All of these things, it can be so despairing. But I'd like to challenge you in this one thing. As you watch the news, and you feel that despair because Jesus cares for a hurting world, if it gets to be too much, try and focus on the fact that these are signs that Jesus is coming back and that he is coming back soon. And because of that, we can have encouragement to absolutely live out a life of faith in the way that he's describing here, in our own personal lives, in our own neighborhood, in our own house, in our own church. And that's all we can do. That really is all we can do. Many years ago, Dora and four of our kids at that point 
were driving north on Interstate 55 in central Illinois. We were listening to the playful banter of Wit and Connie during an episode of Adventures in Odyssey. That might date me. And some of the kids were falling asleep. It was a cloudy day with no rain. But something about the way the sky looked didn't look right to me. As the sky turned green and got very still, I knew we needed to get off the highway and find shelter. By the time we got to the next exit, rain and hail were falling in a torrent, and the wind was blowing ferociously. Visibility was almost zero. I couldn't really see where to go, except there was a truck just in front of me, and I could see the taillights and follow it. We were on a side road in rural Illinois, surrounded by all the signs of tornado activity. As we inched along behind the truck, we managed to get into town, and as I turned right, we came up straight up to a large tree that had been ripped up out of the ground and thrown across the road. So we quickly turned around and drove on into, the, into this little city, and we found basically we ended up on Main Street. As we pulled into a parking spot, we saw a movie theater, and some of the staff were motioning to us. They had seen us coming, and so we grabbed up our kids and ran through the rain to get into this movie theater. They opened up the doors, let us in, and got us into the basement. We were safe. It was actually quite an ending. It ended up being a happy ending. You could call it a Disney happy ending because it's a movie theater, and they showed us Mulan. Our kids could dry out, and they even gave us free popcorn. I'm not a train spotter, but I live in the Midwest <laughs> and uh, involved in Boy Scouts, so I knew all the signs of a tornado were around me. The green sky, the stillness, trucks all getting off the highway, hail, heavy rain coming, and I took appropriate action to find shelter. There's a parallel here in our passage. There are at this moment definite signs of Jesus' imminent return, and there is an appropriate action to take to avoid certain consequences. Well, where do we find the least of these, and what does that mean? Again, if I had a sermon series, I would go into explaining a little bit about what it means among my brothers, because there's, there's theological debate. Does that mean the Jews of, of the time, or does that mean my Christian brothers, and that's what it's talking about? Um, and there's, 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 you can look at it both ways. I've heard arguments both ways, um, but I guess... I'll say this from the pulpit, but my basic answer on this is, eh, it doesn't matter. It probably does in some places, but in this scripture, in this context, what if everybody is the brothers? What if we're talking about being a witness to the Jewish nation? What if we're talking about taking care of our own brothers and sisters in the church? And what if we're talking about taking care of those who are outside of the church? Is that unbiblical? Is that wrong? It can't be. So I will say, if you're taking care of the least of these, it doesn't matter who they are because it's going to give glory to God. But I think it is helpful to talk about uh, the least of these in, in four different ways. So if we can go to the next slide, 
The least of these in our world are far, we'll call that missions. Near, that's local ministry. Nearer, that's our neighbors or the people sitting next to you in this church. And then the nearest within me. So I'm just going to go through these and kind of give a little explanation. Maybe not more than just brainstorming with you. Who are the least of these around us and how do we engage with the least of these? Missions. This is, this is my job. This is what I love. I'm a missions mobilizer. I, I love to talk about what God is doing among the Roma in Europe, among the refugees in the Middle East, among people affected by HIV, AIDS, and war in Ukraine, among uh, anti-human trafficking efforts around the world that Reach Global is connected with. As, as a missions mobilizer, church mobilizer, involved in getting people involved with his God's mission among the marginalized, uh, I get to tell some wonderful, wonderful stories. And so that's my job. And I, I will take a moment to say, definitely stop by the display table. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, it's an email newsletter. Uh, and, and take some literature. I have some things on the Roma themselves. I have a paper there called Pathways to Involvement, which tells, gives some resources that you can read, watch, uh, look at, um, and, and, you know, we can get involved in missions in that way. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what missions you are involved in in this church already. So don't let me take away from what you're all, already involved in. I do want to say that. Just get more involved in the missions you're doing here. And then there's near. And that's, that's the local mission. And that's something that I don't know about. That's what you guys are experts at because you live here and you come to Family Bible Church. And maybe you've thought of that question. Who are the marginalized here in Portage, here in this community? Who are the people who are, would be considered the least of these? And maybe that definition I brought of the marginalized would fit the least of these. Who are the people that are ignored on purpose, sometimes because they're untrusted, sometimes because they have a bad reputation, sometimes because it's just too uncomfortable to think about them, or just forgotten, because they're not in the majority. They're not saying, hey, I need help, or hey, I think that this is uh, an injustice happening in our community, and they're a minority, and you don't hear them. I, I won't claim to say who those people are and who that would be for your church, but just a thing to think about. Who are the marginalized people the forgotten or ignored in your community. And then we can come nearer still. You notice that I started pretty broad, and it's kind of exciting to talk about missions over in Europe, and then, well, local, yeah, there's, there's things happening here, but they're doing this, and they're doing this, and so it still hasn't touched you, but boom, when you're talking about your neighbors and your church, do you think that there are people in this church or in your neighborhood that are hurting and have some needs? Do you think there's anybody here in your congregation that feels uncomfortable, that maybe hasn't found out quite where they fit, or doesn't feel sure that they belong, or is maybe struggling with a mental, emotional illness? and they don't know who to turn to for help. 
Let me give you an introvert pro tip. Uh, I, I am an introvert with an extrovert's job. I function very well going to churches eight Sundays in a row and going to missions conferences and talking to people. But as anybody in my family will tell you, I will have to get home and just take my cave day. And then I regenerate and get some some strength. So I'm an introvert. Introvert pro tip. The people who are hurting and have needs and are struggling are usually the ones who won't come to you and tell you that. So you have to kind of take a look around and say, hey, how are you doing? And then as my wife, who is uh, on the member care of the REACH Global team, uh, does to me often, when you get the, yeah, I'm fine answer, go false, wrong answer. Tell me how you really are. Do it in a nice way. (laughs) But the point is, sometimes you have to push a little bit and say, no, I'm not just making conversation. I really want to know how you're doing. And then we can come to the nearest, inside of me, inside of each of us. If we're being completely honest, haven't we all been in this place I'm describing at one time or another? Every one of us has been through middle school. Maybe other people loved middle school. Middle school was tough for me. That's a tough age. It's a tough time. So I kind of know what it's like to feel unsure. Do I fit in with this group or that group? Even as adults, don't we have times like that? Are there people in here who may be struggling with addiction, alcohol, drugs? Are there people in here who might be struggling with temptation and sexual purity, pornography? Are you struggling with mental, emotional illness and Maybe you haven't even recognized that that's what it is, but you know something is happening and you don't know who to go to. When we start to talk about working with the the forgotten and ignored people, first of all, when you get involved with it, you will find out what is in you because it is very hard to work with people who have lived through trauma. It's very hard to work with people who... Uh, are not thinking like us about the wisdom of using money or the wisdom of trying to get off, uh, the wisdom to get off drugs or something. And it will rise up in you, things in you that you maybe weren't aware of. And so keeping ourselves emotionally and spiritually healthy is super important. So... Coming near the close here, and I just want to end with one thing. Uh, As I said, I've been on the road a lot, and uh, I've I've brought this message to several places. Uh, But when I first started preparing this message, um, anybody who has preached before can tell you, when you choose a passage, when you start studying it, when you start asking God what you should say about it, He'll often bring you into a little life lesson before you ask other people to apply it. So I want to tell you what happened when I was preparing this message, and not to gain sympathy or compare, but to tell you I want to be the first one to say I understand some of the things that I've been talking about. So when did I start working on this? Well, remember the polar vortex? 
which uh, I had to describe in Arizona as a real thing. This is not a made-up thing. Uh, it is actually a real thing, and, and we know that because of this year and 2014. Um, I was preparing this message during that with all the school closings and all the craziness that was going on. And um, Okay, so first thing. You all know Young Plumbing? It's local around here. Well, I happen to know Tom and TJ on a first-name basis uh, because they were at my house three times in a couple of weeks uh, working on plumbing issues, and it wasn't even the frozen pipes. It was other things. And so, okay, that's the way it started out. Hey, but at least I could fix my own dishwasher, and that was like, okay, I can at least do that for two wash cycles, and then it broke again. Uh, my daughter had been in an accident, and she's totally fine. In snowy Minnesota, she was fine, but she called and said, Dad, I'm really sorry, I'm fine, everything's okay, but your car is a little bit bent up. (laughs) My new-to-me shiny red car was completely uh, not looking good. Let me just say it like that. Then things got more real. Uh, One of my wife's uh, students was involved in a neglect case, and and my wife had to be in on that, and it it ended up being quite a a serious neglect case of one of her students, and um, that really was heavy on her, and she had a hard time with that, her first year of teaching. And then uh, she was right in the middle of that when our sister-in-law, who is a missionary in Slovakia, passed away. And it had been a very tough battle with cancer. And she, I had been over there for three weeks when we first thought she was going to pass away. But she lasted another four and a half months. And, and the last month and a half were very difficult. She passed away. So all of these things were happening. And it was not a fun week to be trying to prepare for a message. I will admit freely that because of the costs of the plumbing and other things that were going on, I actually had to borrow some money from a family member, just a short-term loan, just to get the money there quickly. I needed repair help that I couldn't do on my own. I needed emotional support. I needed people to pray for me. And I needed guidance. I needed all of these things. But here's what God told me through this whole thing. You are so blessed. In my description of what I just went through and any of the worst things that have happened in my life, I have never been in dire need. I have never been in a place where I wondered where the next meal is going to come for my family. I never have been denied a job because of the color of my skin. I've never been in a place where, well, I don't know how I'm ever going to get funds. Sure, I've been a poor college student and I've been through some rough times. But I've never been in a place wondering, am I going to lose my house or lose the ability to provide for my family completely? And not everyone has this. The marginalized people in the world, the Roma in Europe, people who are completely stuck in human trafficking, some of minority groups, Christians included, in places like Burma, in places like China, 
have absolutely no choices in their life. They're living at a survival, survival poverty level, and they have no ability to get themselves out of that. That's where the church can rise and be an advocate and a bridge for these marginalized, forgotten, and ignored people in many different ways. This is why I do my job and why I feel compelled to share this message that God has a special place, not an only place, because he has a special place for all of us, but he has a special place in his heart for those who are hurting, forgotten, and ignored. And it's up to us to look around, notice what he's doing and who the marginalized people are, and act on that. Thank you for listening.